0: Been singing some great songs already. Uh, at the end of the service today, we're going to sing a song that's, just to let you know, it's actually based on Psalm 90. Well, God, our help in ages past. I encourage you to do what you've already been doing, which is to sing out, which is also very appropriate uh, with, this, with what is going on in this passage here in Revelation chapter five of praise and worship. So hopefully you've got your place there in Revelation five. Let's pray together. Lord, what a joy it is to be together in your presence as your people. I will be their God and they will be my people. We thank you for your covenant through the blood of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thank you that in Christ and through him, you've given us a new heart and new spirit. You've taken out the heart of stone and replaced it with a heart of flesh. Lord, work in us this morning. Do your work of what we call sanctification. Lord, set us apart in Jesus Christ to holiness, whether that be uh, for the first time for an unbeliever or, or for believers, or would you do your work among us through your word? Help us, help me. We want to make much of you through Jesus, we pray in his name, amen. Revelation chapter 5, I want to speak to you this morning. The title is The Lion and the Lamb. The lion and the lamb. Are you familiar with the phoenix? The phoenix from Greek mythology. Uh, No doubt many of you are. You know that the phoenix is a bird. It's a creature, often a bird, that rises uh, from its own ashes, from its former self. It rises again. The phoenix. And In light of this, the the early Christians adopted the phoenix as a symbol of Christ, because we have something that is much greater, that is much truer, that is indeed real. It's not Greek mythology. It's not a bird rising from its former self, from its own ashes. But we have the true truth. Which is in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning, I think we have the unique opportunity to have a laser focus on Jesus and the gospel. So really that that is our goal every Lord's day, every Sunday. Uh, as Crossway church, we want to proclaim the gospel every Sunday, which is the same thing, it's the same thing as saying, We want to preach Jesus. We want to proclaim Jesus and the gospel. But this here today gives us a unique opportunity to have a laser focus on Jesus and on the gospel. Don't be be thrown off if you remember what we've read in Revelation chapter 5. Don't be thrown off by the things that may seem strange or that may seem weird, It's these things that actually contribute to the clarity of what we see today. Really to the simplicity of what we see today. Look at it again in verse 1. I will not read the whole chapter again, but look with me at verse 1 of Revelation chapter 5. It says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals and i saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals and no one no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look, or to look into it and i began to weep loudly who's the i in verse 4 That's John, right? The author, the human author of this book. I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. You notice that? The lion of the tribe of Judah. So that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. We'll pause right there. Let me say, first of all, this morning, as we're thinking about this title, The Lion and the Lamb, with this laser focus on Jesus and the gospel, let me just say, first of all, that this chapter, Revelation 5, is about Jesus. As I've already said, don't don't let the the strange things and and we're not in Revelation 13 today, like we've been a little bit. We are in Revelation 5, but there's still some strange things, but don't let these things throw you off. They actually when properly understood, they contribute to the simplicity and a singular focus on Jesus Christ. This whole chapter, this whole chapter is about our redemption through God the Son. That's what it's about. Jesus and the gospel are central to the book of Revelation. That's uh, it's, In many ways, that's kind of my, my thesis sentence this morning. You know what a thesis sentence is. A, a fourth grade student may have a thesis sentence. North Carolina is the greatest of all 50 states. And I'm going to show you why. My thesis this morning is that Jesus and the gospel are central to the book of Revelation. And I will just add to apocalyptic literature, like Revelation and Daniel. The Lord Jesus is a lion. Boys and girls, the Lord Jesus is a lion. Now, when I say that, what do you think I mean? You know better, right? Do you think I'm saying that Jesus is a literal lion? No, you know that that's not what I'm saying. But this passage in the Bible says, and I think, I think it's the only time in the book of Revelation, there's many times that the word lamb is used. But one time for the lion, although you could say that the whole book of Revelation pictures Jesus as a lion. Boys and girls and of all ages The Lord Jesus is a lion. So if he's not, if the Bible does not mean that he's an actual animal, well, what does it mean? What does it mean? Of course, we see that in verse five. Look at it with me. One of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah the root of David has conquered. The word conquered there is the word Nike. Think about the shoe company. He has conquered. Who has conquered? The lion of the tribe of Judah, Genesis 49 8 through 12. What it means, uh, as you know, you think of the lion. Who's the lion? Unless you're talking about the Wizard of Oz, then the lion really is the king of the jungle, right? He's the king of the jungle. He's over all the animals. He is large and in charge. This picture of a lion, this symbol of a lion, because that's what it is. It's a symbol speaking about our Lord Jesus Christ. It speaks about his being king. It speaks about his power and his authority. I love what Pastor Ben just said. We want to have courage, but the way also to courage, the true path to courage is, is humility. Well, that's what I want to say, first of all, is that this, uh, this whole chapter is about Jesus, the lion and the lamb. The Lord Jesus is a lion. But secondly, let's notice John's perspective let's notice the perspective of, of John. Now here, we're not talking about John the Baptist. We're talking about John, uh, the author of five books in the New Testament, the Gospel of John, uh, the three epistles of John, and the book of Revelation. Uh, we're talking about the Apostle John. And we want to think about, we want to, I want you to, to see this from the, from the perspective of John, to use your imagination to try to get into uh, to John's mind here in Revelation five, but it's actually we don't have to work so hard because that's the perspective from which it's written. It's it's John writing. The first thing under this second heading, which is John's perspective, the first thing is this: It's I began to weep loudly. I began to weep loudly. John says. I believe there in verse four. Why? Why? Why here in Revelation chapter five, the author is John. Why does John say that he began to weep loudly or, or in other translations it says, I began to weep and weep. I mean, this man, he, he, he's distraught. Some of you know what this is like for multiple reasons. Think of those who've just lost family members. Mention the Owens and the Thompsons. You can weep over these things. John here, he, he's, he's unhinged in a sense. You, you think about uh, depression. A depressed person might tell you, a depressed person might say that they feel a sense of impending doom, of despair, of no hope. And in in many ways, that's the picture that John's giving here, isn't it? He says, I began to weep loudly. But again, as I asked you a couple of minutes ago, why? Why in verse four does John say, I began to weep loudly? Well, of course, he goes on to tell us. He says, what? He says, because no one was found worthy to open the scroll. Did you see? Because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. John, why are you weeping? Why are you weeping and weeping? Why are you sobbing so loudly? Well, I'll tell you why, John says. Because I saw the throne, and then as I was looking at the throne of God, I heard an angel, and this angel wasn't just an angel. Do you remember? It was a strong angel. It was a mighty angel, and the angel was calling out, in a loud voice, and he was saying, who is worthy? And there was no one found in heaven or on earth or under the earth who was worthy to take the scroll and to open it. No one was found. Now, if you're wondering, okay, well, exactly why is this such a big deal? Like, man, we'll get there in a minute. Get there. But just notice that first of all, As we're thinking about John, he says, I began to weep loudly. No one was able to open the scroll or to look into it. But then secondly, as we think about John, not only does it say, I began to weep loudly, but we hear these words, weep no more. Weep no more. This time it's not an angel, it's an elder. In verse five, when the elder says to John, John, stop crying. I I don't think, I love the Bible. I love the tenderness of the Lord. I don't think this is, man, you big baby. Why are you crying so much, you big baby? I don't think this is, stop crying. I think this is, John, you you can weep no more. There is an answer. There is an answer. Look at verse five. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. He uses two Old Testament images there. One is from Genesis 49, the lion of the tribe of Judah. One is from Isaiah 11, the root of David, which is just to say that he is Israel's Messiah. He is This lion is Israel's Messiah, and he's the Savior of the world. I began to weep loudly. Weep no more. What's the, what's the big deal with the, with the scroll? Why is this so important? Why would he be so distraught? I mean, you can understand, as I mentioned, you can understand if somebody's truly depressed. The old word's melancholy. I mean, they, they feel impending doom. There's despair. You can understand if if somebody's relative died. But what's the big deal with the scroll? Why does there have to be somebody to open the scroll? Jim Hamilton says this, it's very helpful. We know from the rest of Revelation what happens once the scroll gets opened. So we can say what would not happen if the scroll were not opened. Listen, if the scroll were not opened, Jesus would not be worshiped as the world's redeemer. If the scroll were not opened, according to the rest of the book of Revelation, the martyrs of the faith would not be avenged, chapter 6. If the scroll were not opened, the prayers of the saints would not be answered, chapter 8. If the scroll were not opened, God's appointed plan would not come to pass, chapter 9. If the scroll were not opened, the wicked would not be judged, chapter 16 through 18. Jesus would not come back chapters 19 and 20. God would not reign in glory in the new heavens and the new earth. This really is a big deal. This really is a big deal when the angel calls out and no one in heaven, no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth is found worthy. We joke around. This is the this is the key thing in this chapter, this repetition of who is worthy, who is worthy. We might joke around today and we say we're not worthy, but this is no joking matter here. It makes you think, it makes me think of Psalm 24. Psalm, who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. And just for a brief moment, think about Psalm 24. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who's going to be able to be with God? You need to hear this. The people who are able to be with God are those who have clean hands and a pure heart. And the first thing that I think that Scripture does is it condemns us. I think that's the first thing that Psalm 24 does, is it says, there's no hope. It's like Revelation 5. This is it. There's no hope. The, The martyrs of the faith will not be avenged. The wicked will not be judged. Jesus will not come back. God's appointed plan will not happen. If the scroll is not opened, then there's no hope. Who is worthy? Over and over and over again. As I say, this is a primary thing in this chapter. Who is worthy to open the scroll? Worthy are you, for you were slain, and by your blood you purchased people from every tribe and tongue and nation. Worthy, they sang, to God and to the Lamb. Worthy are you, O Lord. From John's perspective, We see that he began to weep loudly. We see that the elder came to him and said, weep no more. Weep no more. There has been one who has been found. Look at verse 6. And not only as we look at verse 6, not only do we think about Jesus as the lion, We think about Jesus as the lion. We see, secondly, this scene from John's perspective. But I want you to see the lamb. Third, I want you to see the lamb. Look at verse 6. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns And with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. By the way, as we think about John's response here, as we think about his despair, let me just say, by the way, we will not see this great news of verse five. We will not understand as the elder says, it's okay, you can stop crying. In the same way, we will not understand what it is to be saved from the wrath of God unless we first understand that we're sinners. We will not understand the good news unless we first understand the bad news. We will not, it, will, it will make a hill of beans to us to think about being rescued, to think about being saved, because we're convinced that we're not all that bad. But until we see that we are sinners, and as we sometimes say that we will split hell wide open, until we see that we are dying under the wrath of God, then it will not appear good news. We will not rejoice. We will not exhale like John surely did. Oh, there is one. There is one. Notice what the elder said to him. He said, behold, in verse 5, which means look, look, John. John, stop crying. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Look, the lion. Verse 6, And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb. Now that should give us pause. That should make us pause because John says, I saw a lamb. When the elders said, look, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Pastor Ben prayed this morning, as I've already mentioned, he prayed that we would have courage through humility. This passage is about the lion and the lamb. It's about the meekness and majesty. Listen, this passage, remember the word conquered? Remember Nike? This passage is about victory through suffering. This passage is about how Jesus conquers through sacrifice. The path to victory Listen, the path to victory is through sacrifice. John looks and he saw a lamb. You cannot know Jesus as king. You cannot be with the man who's in charge. You cannot be with the Lord unless you first see him as the suffering servant and as the one who died on the cross. Notice it again. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. By the way, we're only going through verse seven this morning. Sinclair Ferguson and Alistair Begg say this. As you look at the end of verse 6, that's one of those passages here in Revelation 5. Although this chapter tells us that the book of Revelation is actually just about Jesus and the gospel. The end of verse 6 is one of those strange passages. Ferguson and Begg say these words read in a group study can be just like red meat to a lion. Many a home Bible study is derailed when you come to a little sentence like this. Seven horns and seven eyes. And before you know it, Mrs. Jenkins immediately wants to tell everyone all about the seven horns. And suddenly the big picture of who Jesus is disappears in a discussion of Russia or China or the European economic community. you're not getting what I'm saying so far, looking at the end of verse 6, he's talking about how this goes astray in home Bible studies. This is the point at which the firm and wise leader asks Mrs. Jenkins to go and make the tea and coffee. She should never have brought that big book and that gave so much detailed explanation of how contemporary world history is minutely described in Revelation, but said so little about the sheer glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can miss the sheer glory of the Lord Jesus Christ and think that it's all about minute details in the European Economic Union. And I apologize if in any way I am in any hindrance. I don't want to be a hindrance. I want you to see, I want you to see this morning that Revelation 5 is about Jesus. It's about our redemption through Jesus Christ. Revelation 4 is about creation and God the Father. And Revelation 5 is about Jesus over and over and over again. Lamb, 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 slain, slain, slain. Which is just to say that the cross of Christ is the center point of human history. It is the focus of human history. Ferguson goes on to say, it can all be very fascinating and wonderful like Sudoku or math but it can take you deep into the night. No, God is much simpler than that. The end of chapter 6, in many ways, is speaking, actually, this passage is about the Trinity. When you look at the end of verse 6, he's speaking about the Holy Spirit. How do we know that? You compare it with other passages in chapter 4 and chapter 1. This is God the Father, chapter 4, God the Son, chapter 5, and God the Holy Spirit, both chapters. But the focus is that John was told, look the lion, and I saw a lamb. There's two S's about this lamb that you notice in verse 6, two S's. One of them is that he had been slain. As though it had been slain, you know the hymn, those wounds yet visible above. He's glorified, yet the wounds are visible above. The marks of our salvation. It says it there in verse 6 as though he had been slain. Verse 9 they sing a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the seal or to take the scroll and to open its seals. What does it say there in verse 9? For you were slain. You go on and you read verses. 11 and 12 and in verse 12 worthy is the lamb who was slain he was slain but notice also in verse 6 he's standing you know what that's a symbol of Do you remember the phoenix bird who rises out of his own ashes it's a symbol of his resurrection the lamb what's what's the deal with the lamb anyway Well, how many lambs were slaughtered in the Old Testament time period? And and you think about Isaiah chapter 53, the the suffering servant, the lamb. You, You think about the Passover lamb. Meekness and majesty. Meekness and majesty. Lion and the lamb. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 7, Notice verse 7, he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. Who's that? Well, that's God the Father. And because Jesus has died in your place and in my place, because Jesus died as our substitute, because he was buried, because he rose again, and because he ascended to the right hand of God the Father, therefore he has authority and He has the audacity to go to the throne, to God, and to take the scroll and to open it. And it's been pointed out there's no elder who gets in his way, and there's not an elder that says, well, what are you doing? And the living creatures or the angels, none of them are saying, well, you can't do that. Because this passage in many ways is screaming to us that he is equal with God, that he is God. He is the lion and the lamb. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne over and over again. You see John's perspective, and I saw, and I saw, and I saw, and, and what we're not covering is a what we might call a praise and worship service. It mentions prayer at the end of verse eight. It mentions this praise and worship service from verse eight to the end of the chapter. This is why uh, singing is not confined to worship but this is why singing is so important young people listen to me older people you don't have to you don't have to be able to carry a tune in the bucket or whatever but but I don't know how you can be redeemed through the blood of Christ and, and not and not worship because your whole life is transformed into worship and so I don't, I don't know how we can't We can't sing and worship. And again, it's going to look different for different people and in different ways. But as the chapter goes on, almost the second half of the chapter, because because the scroll, because one was found who is worthy and there's nobody who's worthy. Nobody's worthy. As one man said, it's not because you weren't there that they didn't find anybody who was worthy. It's not because you didn't show up because you weren't there yet. It's because you're not worthy. And I'm not worthy. And Jesus alone is worthy. So sing. So worship. Let me close with this. We've looked at the very simple fact that the whole book of Revelation is about Jesus and the gospel. This chapter is about Jesus. We see it secondly from the perspective of John. I began to weep loudly, weep no more. And then we noticed the lamb and the scroll, the lamb and the scroll. Let me refer again to our brother Beg, Alistair Begg. I think many of you have perhaps heard this, but regardless, let me share this with you. He speaks about verse 11 Verse 12, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might. He talks about the the thief on the cross. You know, right, that Jesus was crucified in the midst of two thieves. And you know, if you think about this, stay with me, you know that they're all in great agony. The physical pain is, is terrible. But you know that two out of three begin not only in physical anguish, but also just angry. And then you know, if you know the story, you know that one of these two thieves, crucified on the outer edges of the Lord Jesus Christ there in the center, you know that one of them has, out of nowhere, he has a, a revelation, he, his eyes are open. And you know the story that he says, wait a minute, what are we doing? Why are we speaking this way about this man? This man has done no wrong. We deserve to be on these crosses. This man does not deserve to be on the cross. He sees Jesus in a way that he would have never seen him if not for the grace of God. He sees Jesus in a way that you will not see him unless God intervenes in your life. And he opens your eyes to see Jesus as the treasure, as your substitute, as the lamb As the lamb. He says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Maybe you've heard this. It's an imaginary church membership interview with the thief on the cross. There was no time for him to have a church membership interview, but if there were. If you could imagine a church membership interview with the thief on the cross, the angel says. Well, let's begin. Have you been justified by faith? And the thief says, well, I'm not sure what that means. I don't think I've ever heard that expression before. Have you been justified by faith? The angel who's conducting the interview says, well, I'll have to get one of my supervisors because there may be a problem here. There's more questions. But then the issue is resolved when the thief speaks again. Listen to what the thief says. All I know is that I was on the cross at Jesus' side. I was guilty. I was in agony. I was dying and I was angry. And of all things, I heard people talking about him, saying he had claimed to be the Messiah. Well, then I thought, get us out of this mess. But I watched him and listened to him. Then I heard some of them spit out the word Savior and it dawned on me. This man had done nothing wrong. He was dying because of other people's sins. It just hit me. I don't quite know how. He is the Messiah, but he's dying because of other people's sins. And his name is Jesus, and I knew that that meant Savior, so I turned to him knowing there was nothing I could do to pay back the debt of my sins, and I asked him, Jesus, will you bring me into your kingdom? Would you be my Savior? Would you be my sin bearer? Would you be the Lamb of God who takes away my sin? And Jesus said to me, Do you know what Jesus said to the man, to the thief on the cross? You know, he said, Today you will be with me in paradise. The only reason, dear angel, since you asked, the only reason that I am here today is that Jesus was on the middle cross. I know he died for sinners. And he promised me I could come into his kingdom. Upon a life I did not die, or upon a life I did not live, excuse me. Upon a death I did not die. Another's life, another's death, I stake my whole eternity. Upon a life I did not live, upon a death I did not die. Another's life, another's death, I stake my whole eternity. That's the key. That's the key that turns the lock. When the man said, by faith, Jesus died for me. He purchased people from every tongue and tribe and nation to be God's possession. Look to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the lion and he is the lamb. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you that our Savior that He is the Savior of the world, and He is Israel's Messiah. We thank You that He is a lamb-like lion, and He is a lion-like lamb. We praise You, O God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Lord, we see this prayer here as we see this cup containing the prayers of the saints, but then mainly we see this exuberant praise. May we praise you with our lives and with our lips. Even today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.